U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. The Native American Agriculture Fund provides grants to eligible organizations for business assistance, agriculture education, technical support, and advocacy services to support Native farmers and ranchers. Janie Hipp is the President and CEO, and she joins us today. Janie oversees the work of the Fund, a philanthropic organization responsible for distributing the remaining funds created by the settlement of the landmark Keep Siegel versus Vilsack class action lawsuit. Hip also founded the Indigenous Food and Agriculture Initiative at the University of Arkansas School of Law, the nation's first law school-based initiative focusing on tribal governance, strategic technical policy assistance, and Native youth and professional education that supports Native food systems. Tribes, tribal enterprises, and Native entrepreneurs are optimally positioned to move beyond growing crops and raising livestock into the business of putting food in stores and on tables. The Native American Agriculture Fund proposes the development of 10 regional food hubs in Indian country to provide processing and distribution infrastructure for food grown and raised by tribal farmers and ranchers. With over 59 million acres of native operated farms across the United States, tribal nations and tribal producers will play a critical role in addressing climate change. Janie, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Nice to be with you today. So Janie, let's start by, by asking about food and agriculture as the major economic drivers in Indian country. You've developed an infrastructure roadmap that builds on this foundation to expand into food processing, as I mentioned before, getting food on people's tables. Tell us about your vision. So our vision is uh, rooted in a pretty simple concept um, that native leadership and tribal agriculture producers are uh, critical to this country's uh, future agriculture um, systems and food systems. Uh, we already are um, involved in agriculture in many aspects, but we're often in, invisible. Um, and what we know will help native farmers and ranchers achieve the level of success that they desire and that we really need them to achieve. We know that infrastructure is at the heart of that. Uh, mainly because many of our native farmers and ranchers, and I would include fishers in that conversation as well, um, live in some of the more remote and rural areas of the country where infrastructure has always been lagging. Um, maybe I should correct that and you know, years and years and years ago, infrastructure existed everywhere, but it doesn't now. And we believe that Im important to the success of native farmers, farmers and ranchers and the health of our native food economies and native food systems is the build out of the infrastructure that we need. But I'll tell you a secret, uh, most everybody else needs that infrastructure too. Absolutely, and what you're describing, uh, Janie, to me sounds really expensive uh, to, build, to build that infrastructure. I know here in Southern California, like when I go out to the desert, um, you know, with on Indian land and so on, you know, as you said, it, you know, it's pretty remote. What is this gonna cost? And, you know, how are you gonna pull it together? 
Well, our vision document and folks can actually pull it off of our website. That's very easy. Just uh, go to Native American Agriculture Fund and it pops right up. But we actually did quantify um, what we believe will be uh, necessary for an infusion of capital to actually build out this infrastructure. Um, and to give you a sense of the details, um, Indian country sits across uh, over 58 million acres of land in the lower 48 and then another 40 million in Alaska. So our approach from the beginning was regionally based. And so uh, infrastructure we believe is best approached from a regional standpoint so that you don't have individual tribes doing things one off in such a way that the cost of doing that increases exponentially. And so uh, what the, the price tag that we put on it, and it was based in real numbers that we triple and quadruple checked a million times, <laughs> was around three, uh, three, a little over $3 billion. But that's a one-time infrastructure uh, infusion. And of course, you know, maintenance and operation, we factored that in as well into that figure. Um, but we sought something that could be replicable in all of the regions. And that figure that I just shared with you is for the entire country. So when you think about it in that way, it's not that big of a number. And the other thing I'll share with you is, according to the National Ag, Ag Census, the, the annual market value of native food products is already over 3 billion annually. And so if you actually think about the infusion of infrastructure funds, funding, if you will, capital to build this out, it actually equals one year of our market value anyway. And we, uh, part of our vision actually talks about how this one, one, one push could actually uh, easily uh, push up the annual market value or return to our native producers and, uh, and our consumers. So yes, it may sound at first blush like a lot, but if you put it in context, it, it literally is not, and it will bear fruit very quickly. So one of the things that we hear from farmers a lot is the lack of good quality or great quality cell service. Is, is part of this initiative, including getting cellular service, uh, to these farms and ranches? You know, that's a really great question. And I will share with you that, you know, Indian country and native producers suffer from the same lack of decent cell surface that a lot of our nation's agriculture producers suffer from and rural communities for that matter. Uh, we did not factor that in. What we talked about was actually positioning the regional hubs, if you will, around the existing uh, internet access. And that we know we can make it work that way. But I will tell you straight up that all of us need to actually focus on broadband access and improving its access throughout rural America, as well as, you know, tribes. And, you know, granted, we're sitting right there out in the middle of our land base is extremely remote and rural. And we're in the same boat as everybody else out there who, who really needs this infusion of infrastructure to occur. But, but we didn't want to wait on that. And so we uh, 
yes, we need to all be fighting for that. But our vision was structured around um, positioning the hubs so that we could actually piggyback onto what we have existing. Smart, very smart. Um, so at USFRA, we know um, that partnerships are critical for our strategy. Um, and, and I think in looking at what NAP is doing, um, you really feel the same way about partnerships. What are, what are your priorities and plans when it comes to developing these partnerships? Well, we have, we have many, many uh, farmers and ranchers who've been at this a really long time. Uh, we actually have producers in the Pueblos who have been, um, as Congresswoman Deb Holland calls it, she's a 35th generation New Mexican. Wow. <laughs> so we actually have folks who, whose traditions and their families work in agriculture goes back centuries. And, but partnerships are critical today and moving forward. Um, we all need them. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, on a good day, there's what, 2 million farmers and ranchers in the country? <laughs> That's not a lot. Right. And, you know, there, there's, you know, a little over 5 million native people. We actually all need partnerships in these spaces. We need those to be honest and, and good partnerships, but we also need to realize that we don't have to agree on everything. But when we're in this ag business, <laughs> we, we all need to be focused on all of us getting to a better place because those partnerships are key. So right now we're talking to everybody. Um, our fund is only gonna be around till 2038. We're a private charitable trust that, as you mentioned, was created out of that settlement, but we, our expiration date is 2038. So we've got a period of time that we're going to be really aggressively looking for partners. But I will tell you that a lot of Native folks involved in agriculture already have deep, deep, deep partnerships where they are. And with others who maybe grow the same things they do, or, you know, raise livestock the same way they do. I mean, there's, there's, what we're what we know is that the partnerships aren't always talked about a lot, but we think it's really important for us to align ourselves with key partners that we believe are going to have strong voices moving forward. And USFRA is one of those. And frankly, when we start to exchange information, it helps everybody. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of times where I'm talking to a farmer or a rancher and they've had an issue and they call up another farmer and rancher. And especially during the pandemic, you know, we've seen farmers and ranchers reach out across the country, not just to the neighboring farmer that they that they know for 20 years, uh, but really, you know, trying to understand what they can learn from other farmers. And that's what partnerships are frankly, all about, and, and it's great. Now, USFRA uh, just published the report, Transformative Investment in Climate Smart Agriculture. Uh, you served on the TI Working Group to provide stakeholder input. What's your take on the findings and the implications? Well, I think the findings are critical, and I'm so thankful that the report was released right now. Um, but it also, I think it's really important to think about these issues in almost two compartments that must fit together. <laughs> One is how we look at agriculture in the context of climate. We all know that agriculture is gonna continue to have 
risks associated with everything we do. And uh, you, uh, you didn't mention it, but one of my previous careers was as the national program leader at USDA on risk management and, and farm financial management. So I've spent over 30 years in this space around agriculture and risk. Climate poses huge risks and we have to come to terms with how we're going to all be in that space. But the transformative investment piece is of high interest to me as well. You mentioned that we came out of a landmark piece of litigation, but at the heart of that litigation was access to capital. And access to capital is critical for all farmers and ranchers, not just native farmers and ranchers. So the marrying of how we work across agriculture to really lean into doing climate smart agriculture and being prepared for the next you know, 100 years of challenges is terribly important. That can run across the gamut of you know, risk tools, risk management tools, policy interventions, but also just how we do things in the production world. But if we don't actually also look at our financial instruments and how we invest and who invests and how we sit up underneath individual farmers and ranchers in this, in this space, then we're gonna miss a really important component of actually making this work. <laughs> We, we must look at the transformative investment that we need, the infrastructure infusion, and how, how farmers and ranchers as individual producers can navigate this world in terms of uh, doing what they, we always know they're gonna do, which is respond. They always do, <laughs> yep. but we've gotta make it easier for them because we depend on them. And it's so important for access to capital, but also transformative capital to be in that space. We've got a lot of work to do. And I was just thrilled to be a part of the, the team that looked at all this. But, you know, I've, I've to, I told Aaron not too long ago, I know my work's not done. <laughs> we, we, this is, we've got a lot of work to do in this area and I'm excited for doing it. But I think we've got to look at these issues through the eyes of the producer on the ground. Absolutely. One, one of the things that I have to ask you is that um, NAF says, always says that native agriculture has always been climate smart agriculture. What do you mean by that? Well, I, 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 my best way to demonstrate this is through the words of one of my staff. He has a PhD and, and he, he's Hopi and he still farms the traditional Hopi way. And, but he also holds a PhD in soil issues and his work was around, you know, the, the parallel nature of how we need to be thinking moving forward around uh, other, other knowledge systems, if you will. And so he, I, I really butchered just then what he would actually do a much better job of explaining, but he and I were at a meeting uh, about a year ago before COVID. And somebody mentioned, you know, sustainable practices. And he was so funny, but he said, he said, you know, I'm a Hopi traditional farmer and I farm corn in the middle of Hopi without irrigation. And everyone in the room was just taken aback. How do you do that? And he basically said, climate smart agriculture. <laughs> 
And so I do know that, that, that there are knowledge systems that Native folks, Indigenous to this place, have had within our traditions and practices and our knowledge that we carry from generation to generation because we were farming here a long time ago, um, still are. But it's really important for all of us, I think, to hear multiple voices when we're working in these spaces. And he just tells the best story about it because if you can grow corn in the middle of Hopi with no irrigation and have a crop every year, then you're doing something about climate smart agriculture. Absolutely, and we've got to get them on farm food facts. There, there's no question yes. about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be calling you. Uh, to, to he get has to pictures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, when when I look at how the supermarket is evolving, how supermarkets are looking for more local foods and and so on, whether it be in their produce department or even you know just prepackaged foods. Um, what role? does native farmers and ranchers play in in that space in in aligning with supermarket retailers to get their products on the shelves that's a really another great question uh we actually are on shelves um but sometimes our products are not labeled to us that we are not reflected in the label so there's that problem you should be uh, well, no we should, I agree, should I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And, and that's getting better, I will say. We also have a lot of producers in the US who have found it easier, if you will, to get into consumers in other countries than it is for us to get our products on the shelves domestically. Wow. There's a lot of reasons for that that I'm not gonna go into today, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Why is it easier for us to find markets overseas than it is to find them here? Well, um, I'll, I'll help you with that. We, we, we gotta get those products labeled and get it on the shelves here. Yeah, I think to your point, it's, we, we have historically been pretty invisible in this space. I mean, sometimes our products are not labeled according to who we are. But I tell people all the time, it's never been better for us to, for the story of native food to actually be out there. For those tribes who desire to actually have their products hit a commercial marketplace, and that's a decision that, you know, is, has to be done locally and, and very personal to the producer themselves or the tribal government themselves. But when that happens and we're in those places, we need to uh, join with partners who can help us tell our story, but we need to find as many new avenues to tell it as we can. Um, Intertribal Ag Council has been around for since the 80s, the late 80s, and they actually have partnered with Foreign Ag Service for probably almost 20 years now to move native food products into export markets. But I think our, our next challenge is to make sure that we're more visible um, in domestic markets. And I'm gonna take you back to our infrastructure plan. Part of that is that <laughs> with, with, with the packaging, the labeling, um, with the processing infrastructure, then I think that's gonna happen. I think we're going to, but some of what we're talking about here really depends on that infrastructure piece as it does with any uh, producer of raw <laughs> food products to get it on a shelf 
there's a lot of steps in between, <laughs> but we're getting there. And it's exciting because I think our products are moving across this hemisphere and around the world. And our products always did. I mean, if you look historically and archeologically, you can find native seeds that actually, and products that actually originated maybe in the Southwest or in the Southeast, but found their way all the way up into the Northern tribes who were, who were here before any, any, anyone else came. And that's an indication that we were in the trade of food products for a long time and have been. So just making sure that we maintain our stories and we um, get prepared to be in a bigger marketplace, I think is really important because we've got a lot of food production that happens and it's awesome. <laughs> and uh, if I say so myself and, uh, and worthy of a second look um, on the shelves. Absolutely. So uh, looking to your crystal ball, what does the future look like for native farmers and ranchers? I'm thinking it's very promising. And the reason why I am excited about that is um, we are developing new partnerships. The issues that we've historically faced are, are complex and would take a lot more podcasts to go into. <laughs> but um, but we're, we're starting to really uh, grapple with those in a new way, if you will. But you know as well as I do that how how you stay in agriculture depends on, on whether you have a next generation coming up behind you. And I can, I can tell you that, that our younger native producers are on the rise in numbers. They are gripped with a passion for this. Um, they are wanting to stay home and wanting to stay in their communities and be leaders within their communities, but also have a solid career. And there's just a growing number of native young people who really see food and agriculture as their future. And that's, in many ways, we're almost going against the trend in some other communities. And so that makes me happy, but it also makes me really excited for the future because I think it's gonna be in really amazing hands. Um, and I think it's, we, all of us, all of us need to focus on our next generation. They are critical to us creating the future in agriculture that we all want. And we've got to come up under them. We've got to push them into leadership now. We've got to support them and we've, we've got to solve problems with them. But I'll tell you, they're a lot smarter than we are. <laughs> and we need to listen to them because, because they have ways of seeing and ways of thinking through issues that have plagued you and I with our gray hair for quite some time. And I think a fresh set of eyes on what we have before us is really necessary right now. And I am totally committed to our young people stepping into the lead on this as quickly as possible. But I'm excited about that because I think we're kind of bucking the trend, if you will. So Janie, thank you for your vision. Thank you for your leadership of the Native American Agriculture Fund. And thank you for joining us today on Farm Food Facts. Thank you so much for having me and I'll come back anytime for future podcasts with you. And, and you will okay. we'll be back. Thanks. Thank you so much. U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. Our movement sponsors, United Soybean Board and National Pork Board. 
our presenting sponsors, Wells Fargo, Cargill, and DMI. Our platinum sponsor, the Native American Agriculture Fund. Our gold sponsors, Bader Rudder, Bayer, Corteva, Dairy West, Edelman, Ernst & Young, the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, Frog, McDonald's, Nebraska Soybean Board, and Nutrien. Our silver sponsors, CoBank and OCP North America. Our bronze sponsor, Nestle Purina. Our copper sponsor, Ruan. And our donor sponsor, Tyson. For more on all things food and agriculture, please visit us at usfarmersandranchers.org. Also, be sure to look out for us on Facebook at US Farmers and Ranchers and on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.